to the worship team. Good morning. Uh, hope you are all doing well. Uh, I have a confession to make. Uh, Chelsea is gone for the weekend at the pastor's wives retreat, and so I come standing here on empty fumes. Uh, I've been taking care of the kids for the whole weekend by myself, which is, that's not always the easiest thing. Yesterday, the Eggs were too salty, the waffles were too syrupy, the chicken was not supposed to be heated so much, and by dinner I said, forget it, we're going out to eat. And uh, it's one thing after another, and uh, it's been quite the weekend. My goal whenever Chelsea is away is to basically wear the kids out. And uh, so yesterday it was uh, rocking jumps in the morning. Went and jumped on trampolines, and then it was the beach in the afternoon, and, uh, and, and we drove all the way to the beach just to make sand castles, and they fell asleep on the way home. And uh, they fell asleep, I'll be honest, my youngest fell asleep at, six, uh, at 6.30, and I thought, oh no, we're going to get home and I'm not going to be able to get her asleep. She didn't wake up until 7 this morning, and uh, so I did a good job of wearing them out, but uh, Praise God, Pastor's Wives Retreat takes place one weekend a year. That is all the pastor's wives, that's all the support they need. One weekend a year is enough. It's a tough job. I recognize being a pastor's wife comes with its own challenges. One weekend a year, that's what you get. And, uh, but parenting is hard. I appreciated what JR said. Parenting is hard. Parenting is, uh, is really challenging. And so this morning I'm going to focus in on the topic of parenting around our series of counterfeit gods. In fact, J.R. already talked about uh, some of this, uh, but I have uh, entitled today's message, So You Parent an Idol Worshipper. And uh, that is, that's, uh, I think this series has special application for those of us who are parents. But I recognize that not everyone in this room is is a parent, and not everyone who is a parent has kids at home still. And uh, so I I recognize that this message is specifically focused on parents that have kids at home, but I really believe that all of the principles presented here in this, this message, we will have application to all of our lives if we ask the Lord to speak to us individually. But this message is a message that is focused in on on parenting, especially for parents that have kids at home. My youngest daughter is Kinsey, and she is five years old. Once a week, we have daddy and daughter date night. And I pick Kinsey up, and I say, what do you want to do for date night tonight? She knows uh, it's date night, and usually it's get a slice of pizza from the pizza place which is no problem for me because pizza slices are $2, and I'm frugal, and so, hey, that's, that's good. But then it is usually, can I get another toy? Kinsey, you've got a million toys. The last thing you need is another toy. And uh, sometimes it is, she is so insistent, but I really need a toy. And so we'll go to Walmart because that's the place I can get toys the cheapest, and... Uh, We'll be walking the aisles of the, of the uh, toy, air, toy section of Walmart. I really need this, Dad. No, you do not really need this, Kinsey. You've got 
four Barbie dolls at home. You do not need a fifth. Yeah, but I really need this one, Dad. And, uh, and I try to talk her out of it. Sometimes I admit I give up and we buy the fifth Barbie doll. Because sometimes there is almost a, a meltdown in the aisles of, the, of Walmart. Dad, I am never going to be happy unless I have this specific Barbie doll. And eventually I give up. Now Dawson, my nine-year-old, is different. It is not so much all of the stuff that he wants, but, but the challenge we have with him is he is about the most competitive kid I have ever met. Uh, a few weeks ago when I was at the men's retreat, he had a flag football game that they lost by one point. And uh, he, he almost had a melt. I get this from my wife. She said he had a meltdown on the way home because daddy's going to be so disappointed in me that we didn't win our game. And I'm thinking, when have I ever said that I'm going to be disappointed with you, when you uh, if you lose your game? And uh, there's, this, there's this idea that Winning is everything. And I think of my materialistic little girl and my success-driven uh, uh, little boy, and I think I parent a couple of, uh, a couple of idol worshipers. Where have I messed up these idol worshipers in my life? And, but yet, if you are tracking with me and you uh, know anything about kids... I don't think I'm unique in this. Some uh, kids, by, uh, just by their own personalities, and to use a scriptural term, by the sinful nature that is in them, have the desire to want stuff and to find their identity in things and to uh, want... Uh, to, uh, and to see themselves and how successful they are. And all of these same categories that we've been using in this series on counterfeit gods are true for kids. And I wonder, how is that? Why is it that, that uh, our kids are such idol worshipers? Well, it goes all the way back from what they inherited from dad and what I inherited from my dad, and it goes all the way back to what we inherited from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Romans 12, 5-12 says that we have a sin nature. For, for just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and this way death came to all people because all sinned. Every one of us has that nature, that bent to, to love the world and the things of the world. That's what this whole series on counterfeit gods has been about. And it's not taught, because I don't think I taught my kids to be that way. Maybe they picked it up on, by watching me, but I definitely haven't taught them to be materialistic or to be success-driven or these things. It is a temptation that's buried deep within our hearts because we have a sinful nature. And it's been this way from the beginning whether it's the piece of forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden or the Barbie doll on the shelf of Walmart, we are wired to look for our satisfaction and our identity in things other than God when He alone can satisfy, when He alone should be our identity. Because of the sin nature, our kids are born as idol worshipers. 
And so if that is the case, you and I, if we are a a mom or a dad, uh, we are to be used by God to redirect our children's hearts away from idols and to God. Now, just as uh, was uh, JR kind of touched on this this morning, but we do not have the ability to change a person's heart. No one, adult or child, that only God can do. But, God, but we can be uh, vessels in God's hands to show them and to, uh, and to teach them about the love and the grace of God. And so as parents, we are to be conduits of God to work in the hearts of our kids. To one, turn them away from idols so that they can love God supremely. And two, to help them find their identity in Christ. You see, God's called us to so much more than just getting them ready in the morning and making breakfast and getting them off to school. He's called us to so much more than just making sure their homework gets done and they get good grades in school. He's called us to so much more than just to try to see them off to college. He's called us to be conduits of His love and grace and to guide them so that they can learn to love God supremely and find their identity in Christ. And I put that forth as a vision for us. Because I don't oftentimes think, I think in the midst of the busyness and the sleep deprivation and, and, uh, and all, of the day, all of the activities that we go through, I think sometimes we forget about what is, what is at the heart of what we are called to as parents. Because if we are not seeking to be intentional about helping our kids love God supremely, then we're missing the very most important responsibility that we have. If we seek to find our kids, to, uh, if we seek to allow our kids to, or if we allow our kids to find their identity in anything else other than Jesus Christ, we are allowing them to buy into a second-class life. It is not nearly as good as life with Christ. And that is true for all of us, parents or anyone, that only the best life is found in Jesus. But how often do we let our kids settle and it should break our hearts that we would allow those that are entrusted to us under God's care, that we would ever think that we would allow them to love anything else more than Jesus himself. Or that we would allow them to find their identity in winning and losing as opposed to being a child of God. And so we ought to, if we are parents, the window is so short. What are our years of greatest influence? Maybe, what, 13, 16, maybe 18 years? And it goes by like that. This summer, Chelsea and I attended a parenting conference, and the presenter said, broke up a child's life into four stages. And I looked at those four stages, and I thought, holy cow, my son Dawson, nine years old, is already in stage three of four. He's three-quarters of my years of greatest influence are, are, are uh, either past or, or are present. It goes like that. And so we ought to seek to, in these precious years to be intentional because uh, these are opportunities for us to dir- uh, direct our kids, hopefully by the work of the Holy Spirit in us to direct them to God, that God might change their hearts. I asked Dawson the other day why we limit his time on the iPad. And uh, 
I'll be honest, I was quite proud of his response. He said, because you don't want me to love this more than I love God. And that kind of broke my heart. And I thought, that's right. That's exactly right. That we, that we would help our kids to love God more than the world and the things of the world. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 reads this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, if we know our Bibles well, we know that, uh, that this command from the Lord is affirmed by Jesus as the greatest of all the commandments in the Bible, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, in other words, we are to love Him with everything that's in us. The Hebrew word for strength there actually is kind of, a, kind of like a, a bucket-type word. What it's saying is love the Lord your God with all your Heart, soul, mind, and strength, and whatever you got, anything less, any, anything left, anything that, uh, that we've missed, uh, God is impressing to say, love the Lord your God with everything in you. And then notice how quickly he ties it to impressing these things upon our children. And he, and, uh, he says to, to Impress this commandment on your kids as you go about your daily activities. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. And uh, make them visible in your house, he says. Tie them on the, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. In other words, just make your life, your family home life, so saturated with God that we would be able to receive, that our kids would pick up on it just even as they go about their daily activities. We might be able to say to teach our kids to love God above all else as we sit at the dinner table at night. As you put your kids to bed, when you walk them to school in the morning or when you get a report card to teach them about loving God above all else. When you take them to the ball game and when you come home and you kind of rehash what took place, when you celebrate birthdays, when you discipline when, them, when they go wrong, when you walk the aisles of Walmart, these are all opportunities to turn their hearts away from idols and turn them to God. And so the, uh, the application here is so practical that in the moments we have today, I want to give us seven specific ways of countering counterfeit gods in your kids. Seven things. I know that's a lot. This is a seven-point sermon. If you came uh, this morning looking for a seven-point sermon, today's your lucky day. It's not going to be any longer than normal. We'll go through these points uh, quickly. But seven points to countering counterfeit gods in your kids. Point number one, help your kids to see himself or herself as God's beloved child. One of the fundamental questions that any young person will ask is, who am I? All of us, adults or kids alike, are looking for that to answer that question, who am I? But especially kids, as parents, we have an opportunity to help answer that question, who am I? 
Well, there's a few common answers that are given to that question. One is, oftentimes we find our identity in what we do. I am what I do. And so we do, uh, and, and that uh, if we do, it leads to idols of achievement and success. And adults build their whole lives around these things. I am what I do. As they build uh, their careers and they find their identity and their accomplishments or even their ministries. And kids early on begin to see themselves in light of the success that they have at school or in sports or in music or what it is, whatever it is. And we can, in some ways, maybe even unintentionally, we can begin to feed into that narrative. You are what you do and how much you accomplish. A second way we can answer this question, or at least a common way that it is answered, is you are what you control. This is what J.R. talked about this morning. How we sometimes find a, a, our control of money or our control of even those around us. And kids do this. Is it not one of the very earliest things they do is they are testing to see, can I control my parents? Does the world revolve around me? Am I in charge here? And we begin to test, can I control others? Can I control my peers on the playground? And uh, it leads to the counterfeit God of even exalting oneself in the place of God. I am what I can control. And then lastly, a common answer, I am what others say about me. And how many of us, if we have kids, know that our kids hang on those words that the teacher gives or that the parent gives? It's an idol of reputation, and it's found in the, in the opinion of others, in popularity of teenagers especially get caught up in what others think or say about them and so it is a natural question in fact it's actually a very good question to ask who am I and as parents we must have an answer for that question that is grounded in the message of Jesus and the Bible here's what we ought to seek to be impressing upon our kids John 1 12 Yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in him, his name, he gave them to the right to become children of God. May we help our kids uh, begin to understand that the most important thing about them is that they are created and loved by Jesus himself. That they are a child of God no matter what the world says, no matter how successful they are. They are secure in the fact that God loves them and he will never give up on them and that he wants to have a relationship with them. It does not matter so much what others think of them, but it is what God thinks of them and to see themselves as a beloved child of God. 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. What a wonderful verse to be reminded that we are in God's care. This almighty God of the universe, the one that has spoken the whole uh, universe into creation by simply the words of his power and sustains it all, even to this very moment that we have life because of who He is. He cares about us each individually and He calls us His beloved son or His beloved daughter. And to find our identity in Him, to point our children to begin to see Jesus as the most important thing in their life. Number one, help your child see himself or herself as God's beloved child. Number two, 
Seek out Christian community to help your, uh, pu- to help your child put God first. So many parents today are forsaking Christian community. They're not making sure that their kids are brought up in the church. They're not making sure that their kids uh, have good Christian friends around them. Since the day Dawson was born, Chelsea and I have prayed over him every night as he went to sleep. And we always pray aloud. And the one prayer that has been offered to him, a few prayers, but one of the things that we pray every night is God give him good Christian friends. Because peer pressure is real. And it'll either pull him away from God or it can pull him to God. It can, uh, it can spur them on to, to love God and seek after Him if, we, if they have good influence in their lives. Hebrews says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some, or we might even say as many are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. As parents, we have, we have such a great opportunity just to provide Christian community. Uh, Stephen, where is Stephen at? Stephen is around here. There he is. Stephen leads our fountain group. And what a, a great ministry the fountain is to, to provide friendship, to, to provide Christians the opportunity to come together. And I know we Besides the children's ministry here in the church. These are opportunities that if we neglect these things, we are, taking, we are not taking full advantage of all that God has given us. Christian community. So that's the church. Now let me think about what the, the home. Number three, intentionally use rituals to teach Christ-centeredness. Rituals is a dangerous word because it sounds like a terrible thing. Uh, I'd hate to grow up in a home that is really ritualistic and has all these things we got to do every day. That's what, I, that's what I would oftentimes say, but I've actually learned to love the idea of rituals. See, rituals are these things that we do every day. Some of them can lead to death and they can lead to discouragement and that's how we think of them. But actually, good rituals can be the most life-giving things that we can place into our homes. It is in, a ritual is any normal every day or every month or every year activity that you do to intentionally... I shouldn't even use intentional because some rituals we have that we are not intentional about at all. But these activities that we do that uh, help form and shape us into being the people who we are. And so the Winnell household has lots of rituals. Now, we don't use that word, but we do. One of the rituals, and my favorite is, birthday parties. Birthday parties are a big deal. In fact, I don't even buy presents for my kids. All the money goes into the one big birthday party. And uh, it's going to be all out. It's going to be great. And we're going to spend the whole week decorating the cake. And the kids get to pick whatever we want. Two weeks ago, we had a birthday party for Kinsey. She wanted a troll's cake, a whole troll's village. JR and Susan were there. Was it a good cake? It was a good cake. We spent the whole week decorating this cake. And then the climax is uh, call them up and I speak a word of blessing upon them. And I say, Kinsey, this is what we have seen in your life this, up, this past year. And 
This is who God has made you to be. You see, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help form and shape them into thinking of themselves as a child of God. You want to know what Kinsey's blessing was this year? Uh, no? Come on, help me out here. Uh, the, the blessing over Kinsey this past year was we genuinely noticed that uh, she, has a, she has a natural ability to notice those that need a friend. And she's befriended so many kids at school that we find out later their parents are going through a divorce or they've just lost a loved one. She has that, that, she has that natural innate ability. And, uh, and I want to be able to cultivate and encourage those things. And rituals are a great way to do that. Rituals go back all the way to the Old Testament. In the law it says, and God gave all kinds of rituals in the law. Sacrifices, festivals, worship, uh, worship activities. But it says here in Deuteronomy 4, You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Behind, besides Him, there is no other. You see, that's what we can do. And so what are these rituals? I'm going to give us just a few. Uh, first of all, uh, you got a ritual in how you, um, in how you uh, eat dinner at night. Do you have it, the TV on or do you have formational conversation around the dinner table. You've got a ritual and how you celebrate things with one another. And, uh, and how you... I'm sorry, I, I printed off my notes and I never looked at them before I printed them off. This printed front and back, so I keep getting mixed up here. Um, but uh, we got a ritual with how we put our kids to bed. We got a ritual with how we eat dinner. We got a ritual with how we celebrate holidays and birthdays. We got a ritual um, with how you do uh, after school care and, and homework and these things. But we got, uh, we got ways that we do all of these things. Are they intentional? about forming a relationship with Jesus. Point number four, use hardships as opportunities to reorient our kids to God's kingdom. Use hardships. The last thing we want is for our kids to experience pain, but that actually may be the very best thing for them. Romans 5, 3 through 4 says, Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. You see, when we go through these hard things, when our kids go through difficult things, the loss of a loved one, a frustration at school, disappointment, hurt, uh, any, whatever it be, big or small, they are opportunities for us to teach them that this world is not good. It's not, it is sinful that, this, that, these, that there is disappointment all around us. It is the, it is, but it is not God's ultimate uh, desire for to see people be suffering because of the fall. And so we use these things to help us to, to help shape our kids to who God wants them to be. And so then fifthly, to shape your child's priority and identity with school and activities. School and activities are all kinds of things that can either be sources of idolatry. Sports and grades and music and clubs and all of these things can be sources of idolatry, but they can also be used for good. 
And all of these things are tools in the hand of a wise parent to help shape them and mold them and point them towards Jesus. Jesus said, this is how we ought to define success. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Matthew 20, 26. And so uh, uh, may we help our kids to find what they are doing as opportunities to shape their character. Not just by focusing on winning and losing, but on being a servant. On helping up an opposing player in a game or not complaining to a ref on a missed call or encouraging a teammate after they committed an error. You see, there's so much more than just the score, the score on the scoreboard at the end. The same thing in school. We put so much weight on academics. But is there a servant leadership of befriending someone new at school or doing the right thing when it's not popular or giving respect to the teacher? May we use school and all the other activities to uh, help shape our kids. Number six, help kids to see their sin and learn to confess. Learn to repent might even be a better word. Our kids are born with blindfolds to sin around their eyes, around the eyes of their hearts, and that's because our hearts are deceitful, as Jeremiah teaches us. But we as parents are called to help be God's eyes, to help them to see what is going on all around them and to see what's going on within their own hearts. And when we do, we become a conduit of God's grace. It was prophesied of Jesus in Isaiah 42, And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light and the rough places into level ground. These are the things I will do, and I will not forsake them. So in other words, to help our children who are blind to the things of the of the heart, to help them to see sin and to recognize that God has such a better plan for them and to learn to recognize their sin and to confess, to repent, and to, uh, and, to, and to receive the grace of God. Parenting is not behavior modification, but heart transformation. And so much, so often we get uh, caught up in behavior modification when God wants us to be for, focused on heart transformation. Number seven, lastly, model a love for God above all else. You know, our kids pick up far more by what they see than what they are told. More is caught than is taught. And Titus says, in everything set them an example by doing what is good. And so that is an intimidating process. That's an intimidating thought because I know I don't live a perfect life. And to think that my kids are watching me and they will learn to be a Christ follower by what they see in me. Now that's a scary thought. Because so often I mess up. As J.R. said, uh, we're more like our kids than we are like Jesus. And, uh, and yet we can hopefully, by the best of our ability, set a good example by seeking after God and loving Him. And when we do mess up, to model repentance and to be willing to confess, Daddy screwed up. And, uh, we're gonna and I'm going to ask Jesus for forgiveness and teach them to turn to God, to turn away from counterfeit gods and to, to seek after God. Now this has been a sermon on, on uh, parenting, and I re- recognize that there are many in this room that do not have young kids at home, so let me uh, really make sure application is clear. 
here is the application that definitely applies to all of us. That we are called to be humble, examine our own hearts, and to repent of things that we love in our lives more than Jesus himself. And I think that's what we are called to do as parents, to be humble, to help our kids and our, to examine their hearts, examine our own hearts, and, and to repent ourselves and to teach our kids to repent. But that is our call for every one of us. And now we are what? I think this is week six or seven in counterfeit gods. We've got a lot of counterfeit gods in front of our minds as we've talked about these things. And as we close this morning, I just want us to take a minute to do the exact application of this sermon. To take a minute to humble ourselves, to examine our hearts, and whatever God were to bring to our mind to repent of that sin. In fact, what I'll do, ask you to do now is close your eyes. And we're just going to take a minute to review uh, the big points of today's message. And as I do, I want these questions to not just be hypothetical questions, but to you actually to think of this. Think about these questions. As you look at your own life and... Uh, your activities, your commitments, your relationships? Are you loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? If that is the greatest commandment of the Bible, we ought to regularly be examining our hearts along these lines. And so let me ask you, are you loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? with all of it, everything you got. A second question. Do you find your identity in Christ in Christ as a child of His? Is that how you see yourself above everything else? Or do you find yourself getting caught up in the same traps that our kids and so many others and so many of us do that we find ourselves in what we do and the power that we have and the opinion of others? Or do we find our identity in Christ as a child of His? And as we think about those questions, it leads to one final question. What is it in your life that God is showing you right now that could be an idol for you? What is it in your life that could be an idol for you? With those answers in your mind, I invite you to pray silently in your own heart this prayer of repentance. Repeat after me in the silence of your own heart, Almighty God of heaven and earth, while, we deserve, while you deserve to be the greatest love of my life, I confess that I oftentimes love this world and the things of this world more than I should. Please forgive me. Help me get rid of the idols in my life and to look to you alone for my heart's satisfaction and for my personal identity. Thank you that I am your child and that you love me so much. 
May you continue to grow in my life and my heart, and may you be glorified in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me take a minute and just pray for us all once more. Father God, I thank you that you love us so much. The kids in our church and even in our lives are precious treasures from you that we are called to be stewards of. And we pray that as a church family and even, as a, and even, a, even us who are individually, who are parents, God, I pray that you would help us to make an impact on the lives of these young people that are, that are in, our, in our church family and in our homes, that we might be conduits of your love and grace to turn them away from idols in this world and to turn them to love you supremely. And we commit them into your hands, God, because we know that ultimately we have no power to change their hearts, but you do. And we pray that you would use us in Jesus' name. Amen.